Romans chapter 11 and been looking at this Jew, Gentile, this the way God wrought and worked out His plan of salvation. And if you remember last time, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing, but we looked at that scripture where that blindness has in part happened to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. And we looked at the the three main interpretations that you hear for that scripture. One is that all of Israel, past and future, is going to be saved no matter their condition when they die. They're, they're saved because they're children of Abraham. And we proved that that was not biblical by uh, just simply Korah and the rebellion in the wilderness, the 600,000 men that died in unbelief, as well as uh, the, the little parable the Lord Jesus gives of the rich man and Lazarus. And he says, Father, Abraham. And Abraham says, Son. And yet there is that man that's a child of Abraham lifted his eyes in hell. Certainly that man wasn't redeemed just because he was a child of Abraham. So you can throw that out. It, he's, Paul's not saying here that all of the natural seed of, of um, Abraham is going to be saved. And we see that even through this book of Romans. Another uh, interpretation of that is that in the future, that at the end of this age, right before God comes back to bring judgment on this world, that all of the Jews, all of the seed of Abraham that's alive, at that time, God's going to save all of them at one time together. And that, there's a little more leeway. Could God do that? And absolutely, God, God could absolutely, without question, do that work. And there's not really anything that explicitly would deny that right here either. And yet, I, I don't believe that that lines up with the teaching of the rest of Scripture. But we look back at Romans itself. Paul says the Jew is not one that's outwardly with circumcision of the flesh. In Galatians, Paul says that the Jew is not uh, uh, of the law, but it's those that's born of faith. And in Romans, it's those that has the circumcision of God in the heart, those that God's wrought a work in. And on over in Romans, he says, they're not all Israel that are of Israel. Not all the seed and lineage of Jacob is saved. They're not all born again. They're not all in Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself told Nicodemus, who was a Jew and really one of the top authorities of the Jewish religion in that day, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so here, as we look at these next few verses, I believe we'll be able to see that this is not, a, this is not something that's future and yet to come, but what Paul's talking about here, this is the way God's operating even at the time that Paul writes this down. Because in the first chapter of Romans, Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And that's exactly the way all through the book of Acts, you see the apostles as they, as they go, and, and Paul being the main one that's traveling the globe, 
as he comes to a new city, he first goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there he preaches the gospel. And as they reject or they they won't hear, even in one place, I believe about Acts 14 or 15, Paul says, seeing that you count yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we go to the Gentiles. But the gospel was first preached at the synagogue. They rejected And then the gospel went to the Gentiles. Now when they rejected and Paul the next Sabbath day met with the Gentiles and preached, were the Jews shut out? No, they they could still come and hear the gospel. The gospel's message was reaching a, a wider audience, but the Jew wasn't shut out. And so the gospel turned to the, the Gentile that they could be saved that that would stir to emulation the Jews and that all would be lumped together in one basket and that all would come to salvation by one means through the gospel. And so here, we got down to verse 29 last time. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So God's grace and His goodness that He sheds abroad upon mankind, God doesn't give and then take that back. God doesn't offer redemption and then a few days down the road His love or His affection for you change and withdraw that. You know, you see that in marriages. Well, we just don't love each other anymore. Well, God's not got that wicked and corrupt nature of man. God's love is eternal. And God loved from before the foundation of the world. He loved His church and His people. And there His love continues and it will never be taken back. Without repentance means irrevocable. God is not going to revoke the grace and the salvation that He gives unto His elect. His promise is sure, steadfast, and unchangeable. And the God's truth is, my actions don't change His love. My attitude doesn't change His love. His love is constant. For as ye... Now let's, let's read maybe three or four verses here. Verse 30, Romans 11. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also not now not believed, that through your mercy they may also they also may obtain mercy. So if you notice the way that, that these sentences are put together, he's speaking now to Gentiles that are in the church that have been saved. And this was at the time that Paul is writing this. Even for as ye in times past have not believed God. And the Gentile could look back through their life and they could say, that that's the truth. There was a time in my life that the truth is I didn't believe God. Though many of us might have the flimsy ability to say, well, I, I've always believed in God. But you know, until God came by, by the Spirit of God and awoken us and convicted and convinced us of the truth, we really didn't believe in the God of the Bible but one that we imagined. And so in times past, we didn't believe God. But you know, when when we were in that state of unbelief, and when we were in that state of rebellion, when I was actively hateful 
and hostile towards God and towards His Word when I was, as he says earlier in Romans, when I was yet a sinner, God showed mercy on me there. Not just in giving His Son, but I was in a dead state in sin and actively rebellious towards God when God sent that Holy Ghost of conviction and persuasion upon my life. You know that I didn't come to God in order to be persuaded. It's, that's backwards. I came to God because God persuaded me. Though in unbelief and though in rebellion, I obtained mercy, not because of anything that I done, but to God's truth is God chose to show me that mercy in His goodness and in His grace unto us. And so, ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained. Now obtaining, that gives me the sense in my mind of something that I've reached out and got by my strength and by my power. But that obtaining, it's, it's to take with a hand. It's taking what's given to me. Now this wasn't worked for. I didn't earn this. But you know, I obtained it because God freely gave me this mercy. And the very sense of the word mercy, compassion. It was Him being moved with compassion. He's not moving under obligation. He didn't owe that to me. He didn't owe me mercy. He didn't owe me His goodness. He didn't owe me any love. I had done nothing to earn any of that. But God in compassion offered that to me and brought me to His Son Jesus. So even though I was at one time an unbeliever and rebellious, I obtained mercy in that condition and in that place. And Paul, in earlier in Romans, if you remember, when he's talking about Abraham... He brings us to that fact even in Abraham. When did Abraham receive these promises? When he was circumcised or uncircumcised? God promised Abraham years before he ever gave the sign of circumcision to him. Abraham received the mercy of God, the truth, when he was in Ur of the Chaldees serving his idols and false gods and living among his people, it was there that the word of God came to Abraham and said, come up out of your country. So even Abraham, when he was a sinner, when he was in unbelief, he obtained mercy through the goodness of God, just as we did. See, there's, there's no difference. From, from Adam and Eve's fall in the garden till today, there's no difference in how God deals with man. No dispensations, no different workings, but it's all man and his sin and God gives goodness and grace. That's the only way that man is saved. You have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. So how did the gospel come to us? Well, I realize we're, we're long departed from this day, but to the Rome, the church at Rome... How did we receive this gospel? Well, the gospel came to the Gentiles after the Jews had rejected. That was the way that God chose for this to happen in the early days of the church. 
The gospel came to the synagogue. The Jews rejected it as a whole. The gospel turned and went to the Gentiles. So they could say, well, the, the, the way and the means that we received this mercy was through the unbelief of the Jew. And so the gospel came to the Gentile. Even so have these also now not believed. So the Jew, you know, the Jew could, as those Pharisees and scribes said to Jesus, we're children of Abraham and we've never been in bondage to anybody. And we've always believed God and we've, we've studied the law of God and we've, we've tried to offer our tithes and we've tried to give sacrifices and we've always done and tried to do what God would have us to. Now in the past, I believe the Jews could say that while not true down to the very marrow of the law of God, yet they were, in, in at least from our eyes, I believe you could see this, at least from our point of view, the Jew was a lot better and more godly than those Gentiles were. They went to Jerusalem. They went to the temple where God was. They'd done the sacrifices that God ordained. They had the holy priesthood that God had given. They were much better but now, now they have turned their back on the only begotten Son of God and disbelieved the salvation, the God they said they believed, they disbelieved the salvation that He's provided. So the Jew now, though in past, was a believer of the Word of God and the Gentiles were the unbelievers. Now, the Gentile in his natural state, he's still an unbeliever in his natural state, but the Jew is as well. Even so, have these also now not believed that through your mercy they, may also, they also may obtain mercy. So if what he was speaking of earlier here was a future event at the end of this world, God's going to save all of the Jews. And I realize maybe this don't make a hill of beans to most of you, but it may to somebody. But if, if God was planning at the end of this age to save all the Jews alive, and that's what Paul was saying, then he's worded this, these two verses awful funny. Because this is what it looks like from here, that God sent the gospel to the Jew, and the Jew rejected and God saved the Gentiles, as we see the fullness, the feeling of the Gentiles. And now that the Gentiles are full, God's drawing the Jew in with envy, with desire to have the blessedness that the Gentiles have. And so, have these now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain. These were people that were alive at the time Paul was writing this. Not a people alive at the end of the age, but that right now God has saved you Gentiles, not that the door to the Jew would be shut, and not that you would think that you're above the Jew, but God has saved you that they would look to you and see the goodness of God upon you and that they would be drawn to that goodness as well. You know, that, that works for us sometimes. I realize maybe not in every individual case, but in some I would say there was somebody that their life and their speech 
and the way they behaved themselves, it shone the goodness of God. And even though we were in unbelief, our heart was drawn to that goodness of God that was upon their life. And because we could see the blessedness that God had given them, we wanted some of that blessedness. We wanted to experience the goodness of God like they experienced it. And that drew us in. Well, that's the way God's working here. The Jews are welcome to come in. They're welcome to hear the gospel. And the fact that the Gentiles have been delivered and the Spirit of God rests upon them, that's there to draw them even more to the goodness of God. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. So where did God bring everybody to? Jew and Gentile, remember, in Christ, there's no distinction and there's no difference. If you're a saved Jew and sitting right beside Him is a saved Gentile, in Jesus Christ, they are equal and the same. Now that would have been a hard thing for them to swallow when this was written down. Because we're so much more religious. We're so much better than they are. We've served God this many years. We've done all of this hard work. There's no way that this, this idol worshiper can hold a candle to my righteousness. But see, the Jew had rejected Jesus. It was the Jew that was there hollering, crucify Him, away with Him, crucify Him. And so God took everybody, Jew and Gentile, and concluded. It means to shut up together. If you were to say it in this way, we're going to take Rex and we're going to take Daniel and we're going to conclude them in the same word that's used here. You'd be saying we're going to throw them together in the jailhouse. We're going to lock them up together. And so God has taken the Jews and the Gentiles and He's concluded them. He's shut them both up together in unbelief. See, it's, it's not whether I've broken more laws than you or you've broken less laws than me. That's got absolutely nothing to do with the salvation of Jesus or righteousness before God. But what, what it all boils down to here is whether I'm in Jesus Christ or not. I am either redeemed and in Jesus Christ. His Spirit has made me a new creature. I am born a child of God by the abundant grace of God from heaven. And if I'm not, what I've done and who I am, that has nothing else to do with it. But everybody's in unbelief. Everybody's shut up in the same prison together. You hear this verse used a lot. It's misused, really, in the interpretation that's given it. For Jesus came not to condemn the world. And the way that's interpreted is, Jesus didn't come to do anybody harm. But the truth is, Jesus couldn't do people harm. They were already condemned. They were already dying. 
If Jesus doesn't come, man's already condemned. And everybody's going to die and go to hell. Even the Jew. You know that? The hope of the Jew was not in animal sacrifices. It wasn't in ceremonies. And it wasn't in circumcision. Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day. I I studied under Gamal. I, I paid my tithes and I took my offerings down to the temple. And yet he needed to be redeemed. And in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we know for a fact that none, and that being any single one of those offerings and sacrifices, but I believe here it is that none collectively. That if you took every lamb and ox and goat that was offered all through the Old Testament, you know that none of those paid for one sin. So then what good was all of that? For my salvation and for the salvation of the Jew, it was no good. It did not bring salvation to them. But what it did do was it showed, well, God's going to accomplish this one day in Jesus Christ. And so without Jesus Christ, these sacrifices are no good. There's nothing for me to be pointed to. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no redemption. There's no mercy. All are condemned. So no, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. Shut up together in prison and on the road to destruction, Jesus came that there might be a means of escape for those that are on the earth. So they take that then and say, well then, that, that means that God's made a way for anybody and everybody to just come to Christ whenever He sees fit and whenever He would like to. But we know that's not true either. And why is that not true? I I, I believe this. I believe I've got commandment. I believe the church has the commandment. Go and preach the gospel to every tribe, every nation, and every race on the face of the earth. I believe that is our commandment. We're to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with all. But you know, many's not going to believe that. Though it's wonderful news, many's going to reject it. You know why that is? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Man's natural inclination is to shy away just exactly like you wake up in the middle of the night and somebody flips a light on. What's your natural inclination to do? Your eyes are dilated. They're adjusted to the night. That sudden burst of light on your eyes and you close them. And you squint. And you're getting adjusted. It's our nature to shut our eyes to the light. Spiritually, that's the way man is. The light of this gospel, we can't look on that because we're evil. And man naturally turns away. What must there be for man to come to Christ? No man can come to me except my Father draw him. Now I heard it put this way this week and I think it's a wonderful way to put it. Jesus doesn't say no man may come. 
You remember back in elementary school, your teacher, you'd say, can I go to the bathroom? I'm sure you can. That's not what they were looking for. They were trying to teach you that it's not can. Can would mean, do I have the ability to get up and go to the bathroom? I'm sure you do. But what you were looking for was permission. May I? Would you allow me to go to the bathroom? Well, Jesus doesn't say, no man may. It's not that we don't have permission, but He says no man can come to the Father. No man has the ability to come to me except the Father draw him. I believe it's just like Kevin said this morning. I couldn't do because I was dead. If you had a body up here, no matter what you told him, the body can't do because he's dead. You know what's going to have to happen? The grace of God must infuse the heart of man and bring him to Christ Jesus. And so the Jews were now going to obtain mercy through the Gentiles' mercy. God shut both and all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. God's not pigeonholed this to one nation. Uh, uh, Really contrary to that, there were people on the day of Pentecost out of every nation and with every language and every race of peoples on the face of the earth. They were all gathered there in Jerusalem that day. And you know that day, God saved people from all over the world. And man says, well, it hadn't reached thus this far yet. Well, that would be... And you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a genius... And I'm certainly not on the knowledge level of the Lord, but by the Word of God, all nations were present that day when the gospel went out. And so the purpose of this was that the message might freely go to all. And look where that's brought us today. The church doors are open. And if a Jew comes in, if a rotten Gentile comes in, if a Catholic would come in, if a Satanist would come in. No matter what kind of person comes in, you know what happens? The gospel is preached. And the mercy of God is extended unto all. It's a wonderful thing. That's not the way it was here. The Jews got together, the Gentiles could not come in. And if the Gentiles got together, the Jews wouldn't go there because they'd be unclean. There was a great separation in Jesus. That middle wall of partition, that that separated them was torn down and all are equal in Jesus Christ. So to trust in any, anything of our past, how, how foolish, honestly, that that is. Now we come to some, some beautiful verses. So these are the close of the doctrinal portion of this book. Several of the Paul letters, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, they're written in this way, that the first part of the book is doctrinal. It's dealing with the way and the means and the process that God has wrought 
to bring salvation, to bring regeneration. And the, the last portion of these books are practical. So God has shown me everything through these first 11 verses or chapters that He has done for me that I'm saved and that I'm in the kingdom of God. Now we have sufficient knowledge to know that God has done all of this work from the beginning. And so now, in starting in chapter 12, we're going to begin the practical. Now where that's going to deal with is that's where my shoes hit the ground every day. In light of everything that God has done, how ought the church then, those that are redeemed, how should they behave themselves in this life as a result of what God has done? And you've got to be careful. I've talked with this with a couple of folks. You've got to be careful not to get to the cart in front of the horse. Because if you're going to focus on works, and works is going to be what you're looking at as the main point, then you've left off what God's done, and it's about me and what I've done. If when you're asked, how did you get saved? How do you know that you're saved? Would you say that this would be this would be the most common answer you hear? Well, I believed when I was little. I got baptized. I've been to church my whole life. I've been a pretty good person. I've tried to live for God. I've tried to serve Him. And I've tried to do. And that's how I know I'm saved. You know what's missing there? The operation of God is missing there. I don't care how long you've been to church. I don't care if you got baptized by, by a hundred men throughout your life. doesn't matter how good you've done. It doesn't matter that you've never drank and you've never cussed and you've never done any drugs and you never chewed tobacco or smoked. It, it doesn't matter that I've never cut my hair. Well, I'm telling you, people's got some, some wild ideas. But you know, none of that matters. The work of God in the heart. That's the one thing that matters. And if you start to focus on what I do, then you miss the work of God. And without the work of God, what you do don't amount to a hill of beans. It's worthless. It's vain. And it's garbage. And so, Paul always tells me what God does first. So let's, let's quickly look at what We've seen in this book so far. These verses, let's read them first. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So he's looking at here the whole of the book up to this point. We're, we're concluding this work of God in salvation. And what wondrous words of praise to God. And we'll look at those verse by verse. But first, let's look back through Romans just quickly. Romans 1, 2, and the first portion of 3 you find man in his natural state. Man is sinful. He's rebellious. 
He's inclined to sin. And if man is left on his own, which way does man go if he's left on his own? Does he ever get better? Does he ever improve his condition before God? Man left to himself, it's, we've got great pictures of it in children. Now you know if I say, well, I, I'm not going to tell my boys what to do anymore. I'm not going to discipline them when they do wrong. I'm just going to let them go. Now what are they going to look like in a few days? The truth, they're going to be shameful. And they're not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And so that's the way man is naturally towards God. He's, he's fallen. His mind and his heart is corrupted. And he's continually on a, a downhill slope away from God, growing worse. And except some outside force intervene and really interject itself into the way and pathway of man, man is going to hell in a handbasket to take the word from the world. Man is going at breakneck speed into the flame of hell and there's no hope that he's going to stop except some outside force stopping. Would that be true? And so in the middle part of chapter 3, you see, but God. And God interjected Himself on the behalf of man. And how did God do that? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. God had... God had no obligation to man to do that. The only obligation that God had was that He had promised it. God didn't even have to promise. But God's goodness and compassion brought forth Jesus Christ. And in Jesus is righteousness for mankind. Thank you. And so the Lord Jesus came and lived perfectly, uprightly, holy, that the righteousness of God might be given to us from Him. And He carried our sins to the cross that the judgment that I was owed and deserved, that He would die and pay for that. And so that my sins could be on His back and He's paid for. <laughs> and His perfection could be on my account. And when I stand before God... I'm not guilty because Jesus has paid. And I'm not unholy because I'm in Jesus and have His righteousness. And so God brings this to pass then through the regeneration of the Spirit of God. It's not by works. And if there's one thing that He harps on in Romans, it's that this salvation is not by the works of man. It's not me trying to come to God and God's helping me to come. It's, it's actually the opposite of that. It's me going away from God and God interjects and brings me to Him. He changes my mind, my heart, and my desire. And immediately people say, you're telling me that God's dragging people to salvation that doesn't want to come. Absolutely not. He didn't drag me. But I tell you what I was. I didn't want to come. I wanted to rebel. And I wanted to live my own life. But you know, God come by. And I, I believe like Moses, He let me see the, the train. He let me see His hinder parts. And I tell you what I did. I became suddenly 
overwhelmingly afraid of this God that I'd now seen and of the judgment. And you know what I was? I went from, and this, it happened to me just like that. I went from going on my way, happy in the way I was going, to all of a sudden now I'm afraid and I want to come and be saved. You know how that come to pass? God brought that to pass. I didn't first come to God and then God wake me up. God woke me up before I ever came to Him. And so it's not of works, it's God that brings this to pass. And when you begin to, I I believe, I don't remember who I heard say that this was quoted from, but some man through the past was quoted from. When you preach the gospel, if you're not accused of being antinomian, that means you don't believe in the law of God, then you're not preaching the gospel correctly. And so that's the way that man looks at you when you begin to preach a salvation that is complete, that is eternal, that is perfected, and that no matter what I do, I can't lose it. People say, well, you're crazy. You're saying people can be saved and yet live in sin. But they've left off a crucial part of salvation. If there's biblical faith, if I'm drawn to God, then there is a regeneration and resurrection and the process of sanctification that begins in my life at that point. See, God brought me. And right there, I believe it, it was right here on this altar, God sealed my salvation forever. And I could have done anything from that point on and never lost my salvation. It was sealed in Jesus right here. But you know, old Joseph wasn't free to go out and do what he wanted to from that. And in no way do I imply that man's free to go sin. I say the opposite. Right here, he bought me and I ceased to belong to myself. He changed me inwardly. And when I got up, I was no longer Joseph's man. But I belonged to God and He was now my Lord and my Master. And He began to change. And my God, what He changed in me, instantly, there was a great change instantly. And as days went by, there was more and more that He took from me. And that, well, listening to music like that, won't lose, you won't lose your salvation listening to music like that. I said those words. And in a year or two, it was true. I didn't lose my salvation by listening to music like that. Daniel knows though. In just a little time, I throwed away four or five hundred dollars worth of CDs. You know why I did that? That wasn't what I wanted to do. I thought, my, I'll just keep a few of these. But the next day, those went too. No longer my own. God's working and changing. No longer free to live how I wanted to. Not because I'm doing it, but God's producing it in me. My young'uns, sometimes 
they do things that they absolutely do not want to do and they tear up and they their faces get red and they're angry, but they do it. You know why? You do it or I'll wear your high end out. Now God don't always have to do me like that, but I'll tell you what, He can. He can do me like that. He's mine, isn't He? He's my Father. And so God... God knows how to raise His children. He raises them just right. And when God saves them, they belong to Him now. And He begins to guide and direct their lives by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And so this is still, still this is all the work of God. God's justified us. He's sealed us up forever. He's now regenerated us and we're in Jesus Christ. And all of this is received now. Now here's... A lot of people, they, they agree with everything you say to there. But when you get to Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, there they want to buck on you. But this is received by the divine selection and predestination of Almighty God. Because if God does not intervene, man will not come to God. And the belief of a prevenient grace that is equal to all. And that prevenient grace is it's able to draw some people to God. But, but you know, some people, they just won't believe that. Then that automatically gives me a place that I can say, I believed it. And my brother down the road, he disbelieved it. I am above him. Because we got the same opportunity and I come to it. Boy, ain't I good. And you hear this, I'm thankful that I believed. Now was that belief, if you're truly saved now, was that belief something that through deep thought and hard study and meditation and prayer, is that something you came to by learning? How is it that you believed? I mean, was it not just like me? We're sitting here and one minute I don't believe and God flips a switch and whoa, I need to get to the altar. I'm, I'm lost. I'll tell you how it hit me. It hit me on a baseball field. God flipped a switch on a baseball field at ball practice. And a, a young man said, have you ever been saved? And through the years of my life, I'd have had no problem saying, yeah, I've been saved. But when he asked that, there was a, a lot that come on in my heart. And what I would have always said, yeah, I'm saved. I mean, I went to church. I'd always went to church. But God enlightened me. And I had to say, you know, Noah, I've never been saved. And that weight began to work. And you know what? Life from that day forward, several days from there till I get saved, but life was never the same there. God had illuminated me. Now I didn't come to that because I meditated on the book of Romans and I learned it and I saw it and look at, look at this. Look what I've learned. No, I came to that because God opened my heart to that. God chose to illuminate me to that fact. And that 
It's why I came to God. And so I am saved solely because God saw fit to save me. And He shut everybody up and all are equal. Whether they're in Christ, they're all equal in righteousness and holiness. Outside of Christ, they're all equal in sinfulness and corruption. I'm out of time. But think about this till next time. That God Almighty took a whole world and a whole creation and He centered everything around His Son, Jesus Christ. Anything that matters is centered around Jesus. He is the stone that's in the middle of the road and everybody is going to come to Him in their life. Ain't that something? Jew and Gentile, Muslim and and Buddhist and uh, Chinese and Indian and Latino and uh, English and every race, every tribe, all of their lives are affected by this one man, Jesus Christ. And all of man's going to be held to this one standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that are saved, they're going to be saved by this one man, Jesus. And those that are lost, they're going to be condemned by this one man, Jesus. God concluded all, in all, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Ain't that an amazing, amazing plan that He's put together? So we'll look. Those those three or four verses there at the end of that chapter... There's a lot said in those verses. We'll look at that next time. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?